Exodus 25. Typically, I try to work through, you know, as we go through, as we've gone through Exodus and we took a long pause from Exodus and we came back to it over um, the last few weeks. And typically, I try to work through a chapter each week, but uh, just no way to do that with Exodus 25. And so we're going to actually look at the first nine chapters, or first nine verses of Exodus 25. There's 40 verses in Exodus 25, and, uh, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. I'll kind of give you the breakdown. Exodus 25 is um, where God is beginning to give Moses the instructions. He gives him the instructions concerning the tabernacle, and all the furnishings and everything that's going to go in the tabernacle. So in the first nine verses, God gives instructions for the offering for the tabernacle. And then in verse 10 through 22, God gives the instructions for the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant. And then in verse 23 through 30, he gives instruction for the what's called the table of showbread. And then in the last... Um, Verses 31 through 40, he gives instruction concerning the golden lampstand or the menorah. And so uh, this is what chapter 25 covers. And then as we continue to go through Exodus, we're going to see in the following chapters, God is instructing Moses concerning these things, the tabernacle. He's given him the law. And he's preparing Moses and the children of Israel to build this tabernacle. And let's read the first nine verses and we'll understand why God is giving the instruction to build um, this tabernacle. Exodus 25, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering." And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just as you shall make it. Father, thank you for your word. Father, open our hearts and open our minds by your Holy Spirit and let the gospel, let your truth fill us. Let it change us. Let it transform us. Let it conform us to the very image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So in these first nine verses, God is giving Moses instructions concerning the offering for the tabernacle. And he says, bring me an offering. He says, bring me an offering and bring it with willing hearts. Bring the offering willingly with your heart, God commands. So in these first nine verses of this chapter, I want to I present a big picture view of the offering that we bring to the Lord in worship. When I say the words offering or give... I want you to expand your mind beyond writing a check out to God. So when I say the word offering, I would be willing to bet 100% of you think of it in terms of you giving your money to God. You think of it in terms of that bucket that goes around and you put your, your tithe, your offerings in there. And that's, that's fine. That's right. There's nothing wrong with that. It is an offering. It, it, we are receiving that offering, you're bringing it so that we can give it to God. But I want you to expand your mind beyond writing that check. Our offering to God, no doubt, must include giving our material treasure to God, but it is 
much more than that. And that's the big picture view I want to talk about today in these first nine verses of Exodus chapter 25. The word for offering here is what is called a heave offering. In fact, your Bible may say that. It may just be the word offering. There's, in the Hebrew, there's lots of different words that are translated offering in English. And this is a particular word. This is a very common word for offering. So many of the offerings that were brought to God were this particular offering. But it's called a heave offering because when it was given, it was literally lifted up to God. So they heave it up and they give it. So if you can imagine, if we're here and Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons, the priests, are getting ready to receive our heave offering and God says, bring all of this stuff to me and offer it to me and bring it with a willing heart. When we bring it, we're going to we're going to bring it, we're going to lift it up to the Lord, and then we're going to give it to the priest. And it's a sign, we heave it up to God because we're giving it, we're handing it to the priest, but we're giving it to God. It's just like you give your tithe and your offering each week. You put it in that bucket, and they bring it up here, and they put it there, but you're, you're giving that to God. Your offering is to the Lord. The heave offering to God was given to the priests for the house of God. It was given to God for the priests, for their families, and the servants ministering in the tabernacle. Now, there's not a tabernacle yet in Exodus 25. God's just giving Moses the instructions in how he's going to build that tabernacle. But as we go on through the scripture and as we read on in Exodus, once the tabernacle is built, and we read on through the Old Testament scriptures, from the tabernacle all the way to the temple, the heave offerings were brought to the Lord. And so this offering and that heave offering was brought for the work of the house of God. It was brought to the house of God for the house of God for the work that was to take place in the house of God. The offering is given as an act of worship so that the worship of God in the house of God will continue. And here in Exodus 25, the offering given to God by God's people was to ultimately serve God's people through the work and the worship done in the tabernacle it would build. Our giving and our offering to God is an act of worship. As we continually offer up our life and all things in it as an offering to God, we are perpetuating the worship of God from generation to generation that pattern of offering to God in worship is not accidental. It is purposeful, it is prescribed, and it is commanded by God. Now what's inter interesting, the heave offering is different. So for instance, there's another type of offering. It's called the burnt offering. Jesus was offered up as a burnt offering. When Paul writes, and we're going to read this scripture later, when Paul writes in Romans, brothers, I beg you by the mercies of God to present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What Paul is talking about there is not you accept, ex, ex, committing yourself, offering yourself as a heave offering. He's talking about offering yourself as a burnt offering. Now what's the difference? Just real quick. The heave offering, in this case, God tells him, this is what you're bringing you're bringing all these raw materials to build a tabernacle. So those offerings would be brought to God. They're given to the priest. And then the priests are going to take those. And they're going to use those materials. And they're going to build a tabernacle. And, and the benefit is going to be for the priest. It's going to be for the children of Israel. It's going to be for the whole nation. These things are going to be used. And they're going to benefit everybody. In other words, the offering is not going to be consumed. It's going to be taken and it's going to be used and put, put to use. So for instance, when Israel would bring later on when the tabernacle is built and they'd bring the heave offering, and, and so it gives a prescription in there where God talks about taking the shoulder of an animal and you bring the shoulder of that animal and you 
you heave it to God, you offer it up to God, and you give it to the priest. And the priest takes part of that animal as a sacrifice to the Lord, but then the other part of that animal, guess what happens? The priest eats it, and his family eats it, and the servants in the temple and the tabernacle eat it. And so Israel would bring their heave offerings to God, but part of that offering was, went to literally feed and to provide for the priest and the ministers in the tabernacle and the temple. So the priests were to be doing the work of God and the offerings would come in so that the priest would have food to eat and things that they needed so that they continued to do the work of God. That was a heave offering. A burnt offering, when it was brought to the Lord, that burnt offering was completely and totally consumed. The priest didn't eat the burnt offering. That was exclusively for God. And it's interesting, that was Jesus. Jesus was the, the burnt offering. He was offered up for the sins of his people so that their sins would be forgiven. And that offering was consumed. It was accepted in total by God. This is the picture of us when we offer ourselves to God, that we are giving, offering ourselves in total to God, to be consumed for God. So God commands our worship And so he commands our offering with our heart. Listen, Exodus 25, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. You shall take my offering. You know, I actually speak wrongly very often on Sunday morning when I get up here and I say, it's time to give your offering to God. It's really not your offering, it's, it's his offering. God didn't say, from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take his offering. He said, you shall take my offering. See, we're not doing God a favor by offering to him. God is actually doing us a great favor by accepting our offering because it's his offering. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's his. And God says, speak to my people and tell them to bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. The Lord commands Moses to speak to the children of Israel that they bring him an offering, and with that offering they were to bring God their heart as well. In verses 3 through 9, then God describes what this offering is, and we see that the offering consisted of gold, silver, bronze, and all the materials necessary to construct the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. So fabrics and threads, animal skins, wood, precious stones, oil, spices, all those raw materials needed to craft together and construct a functioning tabernacle. You guys know what a tabernacle is tabernacle is another word for tent and so when God's giving these instructions to Moses they're not building a temple out of stone they're building a tent that's what the animal skins were going to be used for that's what the fabric was going to be used for and so if you can imagine there's this huge rectangular linen canvas tent out there in the middle of the desert and it's got an opening with a veil and this veil has in red and blue and purple it's got embroidered in that these cherubim holding flaming swords and you walk through that veil into this huge courtyard this canvas fence and inside this canvas tent in this courtyard there's going to be various things there's going to be an altar there's going to be a basin there's going to be all these things to do sacrifice but then 
the, the thing that you're going to really notice when you walk through that gate is there's another structure there. And, and now this is a tent. And it's a tent with multi-layers. And it's, it's a tent that's got animal skins. And it's got another veil embroidered with the same things, red, scarlet, blue. And you go through that veil and you walk into this room. And in this room, there's a table with 12 loaves of bread on it. There's a lampstand, a menorah with seven candlesticks, or actually bowls with oil. It was an oil lamp is what it was. And then you had an altar of incense where they would light and burn the incense. And then you would notice in this room behind that table of showbread, there was another veil with these cherubim, again, embroidered on this veil. And behind that veil was what was called the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I can't describe it any farther because then that would take my whole message because we're not talking about those. But this is what Exodus 25 is about. It's about building this tabernacle. It's about God giving Moses the instructions of all these things. So this is very detailed, very purposeful. God is not accidental. He's not haphazard about anything he's doing here. He's very purposeful and he is describing down to the detail what is to happen here. This is what this offering was for. It was to have the material to build that canvas fence, to build those veils and embroidery them with the scarlet and purple thread and the white threads and the linen fabric that would go to to make these things. It was the animal skins that would cover the, the tent where the holy of holies and the holy place was. It was all of this. It was the fabric for the vestments for the priest. It was the precious stones that would go on the ephod that, that the priest wore on his breast. It was, for the, it was the gold that would overlay the acacia wood that the ark was made out of and the mercy seat was made out of and the table was made out of and the poles that carried the ark and carried the table was made out of all of that the bowls and the pitchers and plates and all of that all of that material that would ultimately make all of those things that furnished and and the tabernacle consisted of came from this offering that God is talking about right here Now remember, Israel is at the base of this mountain. God's up on this mountain, and it looks like literally a volcano up there. All they can see is fire and smoke consuming the top of this mountain. Moses is on top of this mountain in the midst of the fire and the smoke, receiving these instructions from God. And the people of God are down at the base of the mountain, away from the mountain, because remember, they were scared of God. When God spoke to them the first time, recorded in Exodus 19, they said, listen, Moses, don't do that to us again. We don't want to hear God's voice. He's too scary. You go talk to him, come back, and you tell us what he has to say. So this is where Moses is. He's with God on the mountain, receiving these instructions while Israel is down below, fearful, looking up at the fire on top of that mountain, wondering what has happened to their leader who walked up that mountain and disappeared into the fire and into the smoke. Well, he's up there receiving these instructions. And God says, tell my people to bring me an offering and bring it with a willing heart. And this is what you're going to have them bring. Gold, silver, bronze, all these things, all this raw material to craft together and construct a tabernacle. This offering, though, represented much more than just natural raw materials and riches given up by God or given up to God by the people. It represented the spiritual heart of God's people and the richness of their worship being offered up to God. It represented the same thing your offering each week represents. It represents, and your offering represents 
the spiritual heart of God's people. Your offering each week represents your spiritual heart offered up to God. It represents the richness of your devotion to God, just like this offering did given by God's people. Our worship each day and each week here in this place is to be offered up from a willing heart, rich with devotion for God. And the offering brought to the Lord is to be given will is to be given willingly with one's heart. In other words, we're not to give an offering to the Lord from a less than willing heart. Oh, I'm in church. I guess I need to give to God. No. That's not the right attitude. Your purpose to give to God shouldn't happen once you realize, oh, it's time for the offering. Your purpose to give to God should happen before you ever get to this place. Your heart to give to God shouldn't be prompted by the pastor saying, it's time for the offering now. Your heart to give to God should be prompted by God, by your rich spiritual devotion and your spiritual heart to worship God. Not just on Sunday morning, but every day of the week because it is God who sustains you every day of the week. It is God who gives you life every day of the week. It is God who enables you to do what you do and be who you are and have the life you have every day of the week. We would have nothing if it were not for God. So this offering represents so much more than just giving our stuff to God. It represents our heart. And our hearts can be willing or our hearts can be unwilling. When we give our offering to God, we're not just giving with our hands. The Bible is really clear. We're giving with our hearts as well. And God says, when they bring my offering, tell them to bring it with a willing heart. I will receive my offering from every heart that willingly gives it. Now, you can put your money in that bucket that goes around, and it'll end up in that basket right there. And then that money will end up in City National Bank in our bank account. Doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? But actually, it is absolutely spiritual. The very act of you giving your offering to the Lord, I can't see your heart. Nobody else can see your heart. You might not even be able to see your heart, but you know who can see your heart? God can see your heart. God knows your heart. And your heart and the condition of your heart when you give your offering to God is important. It means something. It determines whether God is going to receive it or not. Now, you notice what does not happen? When that bucket's passed around and you go to put your money in there, you, you don't see like a force field and it's like you go to drop it in and it just falls out. Why won't my money go in there? And then you hear this voice from heaven go, it won't go in because your heart's not willing. That doesn't happen. Now, it doesn't matter whether the atheist drops his money in there, whether you have a willing heart, unwilling heart. You put that money in that bucket, it's going to go in that bucket, it's going to get deposited in the bank. We're going to use it to, to do what we need to do here in the house of God to do the work of God. But whether you believe it or not, whether you can see it or not, here's what God says. I receive from my people that give with a willing heart. Now, all this stuff went, but what happened? You see, Jesus said this. He said, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Well, what does he mean by that? Does he mean don't invest in your 401k? No, that's not what he means. Invest in your 401k. Plan your retirement. But don't put your hope in your retirement. Put your hope in Jesus. Don't think that all the money you save and amass on this earth is going to do one thing for you one day when you transition from this life to the next. Because that won't mean anything to you then because you're not going to take any of it with you. But guess what will mean something? What will mean something is what you have deposited in heaven. 
So you don't see your money bouncing out of the bucket when you put it here on earth, but, but here's what you need to understand. When we give with an unwilling heart, when we give grudgingly out of whatever reason that's not the right reason, you're not getting credit for that. In other words, God's really not receiving that because God knows your heart. And this is why God is very specific here. He says, when you bring your offering to me, bring it willingly. Let him bring it willingly with his heart. In other words, God is saying, yeah, I need that gold and that silver and that bronze and all those animal skins and that oil and those precious stones to build this tabernacle. But, but what I really want is your heart. Because that tabernacle is not just about some dead religious activity that's taking place in the name of God. That tabernacle is about your heart. That tabernacle is about God's heart. This worship today is about your heart. It's about God's heart. When you give then that offering, it's about your heart because it's about God's heart. What we do is about God's heart. And we do it from our hearts. And, and whether our heart is willing or not willing determines things that you may or may not be able to see on this earth. But it is real. The offering God commands is the offering that God provides. Don't ever say, I don't have anything to offer up to God. Because the very breath that came out of your mouth that made that statement, I have nothing to offer up to God, you have something to offer up to God because you are here. God gave you your life. You offer your life up to God. God really doesn't care about your Benjamins. He cares about your heart and your life. Your money just represents that. That's what God cares about. The offering that God commands is the offering that God provides. We need to be clear in our understanding that the offering Israel brought to God was provided by God. Where did they get all that gold and silver and bronze and animal skins and oil and precious stones and spices? Where did all that come from? They were slaves in Egypt. They had nothing but hard labor. But if you remember the Exodus story, on the night they ate the Passover and they got ready to leave after they ate that Passover, as they're leaving Egypt, what did God do? God put it in the hearts of the Egyptians and the Egyptians just loaded them down with what? With gold and silver and bronze and precious stones and everything you can imagine. The Bible says that the wealth of, is of Egypt was transferred to Israel as they made the exodus out of Egypt. And they come to Sinai three months later. This is three months after the exodus. Three months after the exodus, they come out of Egypt loaded down with the wealth of the greatest empire on the earth at that time. Now, we can't even imagine that. But that's what happened. And they're at the base of this mountain. And God is telling his servant Moses... Tell my people to bring me an offering, and this is what I want them to bring. Well, it's everything God just gave them three months earlier when they left Egypt. The, the offering that God commands is the offering that God provides. But it wasn't just, it wasn't just the material wealth that Israel came out of Egypt with. The true wealth was the people of God themselves. In those 400 years in Egypt, God built a nation. God multiplied a people. Yes, they were slaves, and we wonder why did they take that from the Egyptians? But here's the reality, God was doing a work. And God left them there for those 400 years. And in those 400 years, he multiplied a people. And when he took that nation out, what was approximately 70 people that came with Jacob at the front end, coming to Egypt because his son Joseph was second in command, those 70 people turned into millions of people by the time 
the exodus took place. That was the true treasure that came out of Egypt. We want to look at the gold and the silver and the diamonds and the jewels and all of that. And we say, oh, that's the treasure, man. They got the wealth of Egypt. No, the true treasure was the people, the hearts, the spirits and the souls that God multiplied in Egypt. That was the true treasure. God is the same today as he has always been. God provides for us what he commands that we give to him. We may not think of our provision coming from God in that way, but we should. Our ability to work, our ability to earn and create wealth is a gift from God. Our children are blessings from the Lord, the Bible says. These crying babies are blessings from the Lord and God commands you to see them that way, to hear them that way, and to interact with them that way. There's no amount of money that mama is going to take to buy that child because that child is priceless because that child is a blessing from God. They're called arrows, and they belong to the Lord before they belong to us. When you think about offerings, don't fail to think about children. Don't fail to think about your own life. Don't just think about your checkbook and your bank account and your treasure, your material treasure, because that's the least that God is interested in. What God's really interested in is your life and all the lives associated with you. Our very life and our very soul and those of our family and of our children belong to him. So how much more do our earthly goods and our material possessions belong to the Lord? As God's people, we are to understand that the offering God commands is not cheap, it is costly. It costs Jesus his life and God demands that we offer up no less. We say that gold and silver and all that stuff came from God in Egypt. Well, where did your life come from? Your life came from God. And the offering that God wants is not your gold and silver. The offering God wants is your life. The way that we demonstrate to God that he has our life is that we freely give our gold and silver. The fact that God had to say, bring it willingly with his heart, indicates to us that God knew there would be Israelites with gold and silver and possessions they got in Egypt that they would not want to willingly give back to God. Just like today, we don't always want to willingly give back to God, and so we don't. Or we make excuses as to why we can't give back to God. But you put a human being in certain situations and certain circumstances and there is no amount of money they will withhold from God if it means that God might save their life or save their family or do something that they desperately need God to do for them. But yet every day we desperately need God. Do you realize that? Do you understand that? We are always sowing our time, our talent, and our treasure somewhere into something or someone. If we're not sowing our offerings with the understanding that God is our provider and the author of life, we may be sowing to the wind. And if we sow to the wind, we will eventually reap the whirlwind. That's biblical. That's what the Bible says. When we fail to give to God willingly with our heart, we deceive ourselves and we mock God. And God warns that he will not be mocked. So when we give to God, we give to God out of love and with purpose. We are to offer all things willingly with our heart. And we do this knowing that God has freely given us all things in Christ. So as God commanded Israel at Mount Sinai, God commands us today in Christ to bring to him our offering willingly with our heart. 
And this offering is an offering for, for the sanctuary. So in Exodus 25, 2, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering down to verse 8 and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So in between verse 2 and verse 8 is the list of all the materials, all the raw materials needed to build the sanctuary. But the point of all of that is bring me an offering that they may make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. We're to offer all things willingly with our heart. God is desiring to dwell among us and he in fact does dwell among us Israel was commanded to bring an offering to God for the sanctuary that he may dwell among his people God dwells among his people now how through Christ is Christ dwelling in you are you born again today are you saved are you trusting God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that you are his child and if you are the bible says then you you have been inhabited you have been possessed the holy spirit has come to reside inside of you that makes you a child of god that makes you his people christ dwells among us now by grace through faith he lives in you and he is your hope of glory the tabernacle and later the temple were both a type and a shadow of the true. Christ is the true tabernacle. He is the true temple. And we are the lively stones being built into a holy habitation of God in the spirit. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 2.20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You also are being built together as a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Why did God command Israel to bring an offering that they would build him a sanctuary for him to dwell among them. What is Paul saying? You now are that habitation being built up, the dwelling place of God in the spirit. God gave Moses instructions for the tabernacle that point us to Christ. Listen to Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister, this is talking about Christ, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. This is not about a temple men are going to build one day in Jerusalem. This is about a temple that God has already raised up and is seated at the right hand of majesty on high. The priests on earth serving in the tabernacle were serving the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things. The writer of Hebrew goes on there in verse 5 and he says, Who served, talking about the men on earth, the priest on earth who served in the tabernacle, who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. That's what God told Moses. See that you make it according to the pattern. Don't do your own thing, Moses. You make it according to the pattern that I have shown you. What are we doing, church? What do we do? Are we doing our own thing? Or are we living our life and giving our worship and offering up to God according to the pattern that he has shown us? Or are we just out there doing our own thing? Saying, well, you know, I'm just going to spend time under this tree with God and that's going to be my worship. Really? That's not according to the pattern. Now, you can do that. You're an American. Memorial Day weekend. Men and women have spilled their blood so you can be free to hate God, not worship God, reject God. You're free to do all that if you want to. 
But don't call yourself a believer and say, I can do it according to my pattern when God says, no, you cannot. He says, Moses, you do it according to the pattern that I have shown you on the mountain. And what is God talking about? He's talking about our worship. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about our worship. And God takes worship serious. If you don't believe God takes worship serious, you read the Old Testament and you see what God does to people who don't take his worship serious. Am I trying to scare you? I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. Listen, God is incredibly gracious and long-suffering. How do we know that? Look at our nation. We've murdered over 60 million babies since 1973 legally in this nation, and God still has not brought down the hammer and destroyed us, and yet we, we deserve to be destroyed. We don't deserve to win any war. We don't deserve to win any battle. We don't deserve anything. We deserve the judgment and the wrath of God as a nation. But guess what? God hasn't given it to us. Why? Because he's long-suffering. He's patient and he's graceful. We are living contrary to God's pattern. How long can we do that and escape God's wrath? I don't have the answer to that question. But here's what I do know. I do know what God has given us in his word. I do know what God has revealed in his word. And we have a choice. Are we going to follow the pattern? Or are we going to do our own thing? All that was in the law, all concerning the temple and the tabernacle, pointed us to the substance who is Christ. God commanded Israel, bring me an offering and let them make me a sanctuary. The relationship between the offering and the sanctuary today is that we are the offering and Christ is the sanctuary. But here's the reality. Christ is the offering and the sanctuary, but so are we. We just read in Ephesians that you are, we are as the church being built up into a holy habitation of God. Let them make me a sanctuary, a dedicated place, a consecrated place for God to dwell among his people. We are that place today. His church, his body and bride, the holy Jerusalem is the place that God has chosen for his name to dwell forever. When God spoke those words to Moses and to the children of Israel, pointing to a future city of Jerusalem, that future city that is now a reality on earth was just a type and a shadow. And that city today is still that type and shadow because the Bible says you are the church and you are the holy Jerusalem that will descend out of heaven one day. You are the place that God has chosen for his name to dwell forever. You are, I am, we are as his people. Christ is both the offering and the sanctuary, but so are we. And the offering brought to the Lord is for him and for his house even today. Our offering to the Lord has always been a witness to God as a provider that dwells with and now in his people. It gives witness to our worship. It gives witness to our heart. It gives witness to our life that is joined to his by grace through faith. See, it's not just God works through his people. So we go back to the Old Testament and we see that God had a nation that he chose, the nation of Israel. He chose a man, Abraham. He was a moon worshiper. He was a pagan like everybody else, so many others on earth. But God called him and God chose Abraham and from Abraham God raised up a nation and God has always had a people. And God works in the earth through his people. And the people of God in the earth today are the church. We're not identified any longer by our ethnicity, whether we're physical descendants of Abraham, whether we're truly Jews ethnically. 
what we are defined by now is our spiritual DNA, our spiritual ancestry. Have we been born again of the Spirit? Have we been born again of Christ? And so we are called the body of Christ. We are the church, God's called out assembly of people in the earth today. And God works in the earth today through his church, just like he has always worked in the earth through his people. He's always worked through his church, whether it was exclusively a Jewish church in the Old Testament or whether it's now a church that is of every nation, every tongue, and every tribe in the world. And as the church goes, as the people of God goes, so does the world go. So does the nations go. So the nation that we live in called America, you know it's going to determine America's future? Not how great her military is. It's not who's their president. It's not whether we got more D's or R's in the Congress. What's going to determine the future of this nation is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is following the pattern that was given to her in the Scripture. That means that everyone who claims to be part of the church, part of the blood-bought and the redeemed, everyone who makes that claim has a choice, a decision to make. Am I going to live my life following the pattern that God has laid out for me in the Scripture, or am I going to live my life according to my own pattern, my own wishes, my own desires? Deceiving myself into thinking that I can do that and I'm going to be okay with God. Because we don't see that truth and reality anywhere else in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying you're saved by your works because you are not saved by your works. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But when you confess to be saved, when we confess to be his children, when we confess that we are born again and we have every expectation to go to heaven and participate in and enjoy our heavenly reward that we've stored up for ourselves there, there is something between that new birth and that transition to heaven, that, that thing in between is called your life in Christ. It's called your walk here on the earth. And the question is, is your walk consistent with your birth? So when we talk about our offering to God, I'm not just talking about giving your money to God. I pray you do. Because your ability to give your money to God and to obey God in giving your tithe and giving your offerings to Him, your ability and your willingness to do that is a sign of, of what's really transpiring in your heart. And what I'm saying to you, church, little church in Taylor, Texas, little town in the great state of Texas, one state of 50 in this great union, We're just a little part, but we are a part. And if we don't do our part, we can't do anybody else's part. We can only do our part. What are we going to do? As your pastor, my challenge to you, my plea to you is that if you're confessing, professing to be a Christian, then live like it. If you are truly in Christ, understand that the hope of our nation, do you love this nation on this great Memorial Day weekend? We're going to fly our flags and have our barbecues and we're going to put our patriotic music on and our patriotic clothing on and a lot of people are going to do that and they're going to talk about God. Well, I want to challenge you. If you're really serious about God and you really love this nation then quit playing games and quit buying into all of the, I can't say it. It's not real. Flying your flag on Monday and having your barbecue is not going to do anything for this nation. What's going to do something for this nation is the church 
of the Lord Jesus Christ to get serious about her salvation and understand that we live in a nation that's at peril because the church is continuing to compromise and to lay down day in and day out. And somebody's got to stand up somewhere and say, it's enough, it's time to stop. Church, you need to stop playing games. You need to be bold enough to go out and tell your friends who are Christians the same thing. I'm not saying go judge them. I'm not saying go be mean to them. I'm saying stand up for the truth. Let's stop deceiving ourselves that what we think is going to save us is going to save us because it's not going to save us. You see these babies in this room? That's our salvation after Jesus Christ because they're our future. What are we doing to raise them up, to educate them, to train them, to be the model of worship for them so that when we're dead and in heaven, these little ones are, are the elders and the pastors and the people that are leading our nation, that are challenging the powers that be and calling people out and saying, if you are the church, then live like the church. Stand up like the church. If you really care about the nation and the city you live in, then become the church. Become salt and light and stop compromising and stop playing games. Stop worshiping your money and start worshiping your God who is the provider. Get your priorities right. I'm preaching to myself here, so don't think I'm not because I am. We magnify and we idolize these preachers who are telling people to unhitch from the Old Testament. You don't need the Old Testament. You don't need to worry about the Ten Commandments. And what they're really telling Christians is just do what's right in your own eyes. It's okay. And to prove that they're right, they say, look at my church. I got 25,000 people. I got 30,000 people. How you know how I got those people? Because I didn't worry about all that stuff about sin and I didn't get into politics. I didn't talk about abortion. I don't talk about homosexuality. I just leave all that up to God. Really? We are the mouthpiece of God in the earth. How does God speak to us today? He speaks to us through his son. But we are the body of Christ we are how God gets his message out. And if the church isn't going to stand for the truth, then who is? You hear me, church? Your life makes a difference. Your offering makes a difference. And your offering is not just your money in the bucket. Your offering is your life. It is the totality of your life. Parents, your offering is your children. Husbands, your offering is your wife. Wife, your offering is your husband. Parents, your offering is your children. It's everything that God has given you down to your bank account. But it is so much more than that. We're losing generations. We're losing a nation because the church continues to not take the pattern that God has given us in his word serious. So here's either the sad news or the good news for you guys. You have a pastor who's going to take it serious. And I'm not saying I get it right. I get it wrong a lot of the time, most of the time probably. But I'm willing to take my lumps and I'm willing to confess my sin to God and I'm willing to say, okay, God, here we are. Teach us, show us, help us. Because we want to be salt and light. We want to be your people that are serious about our worship and our devotion and our offering to you. And I want that to transfer, not just to the people sitting in the pews today, but I want it to transfer to the generations that will come after us. I want someone to stand in a pulpit of Christ Fellowship Church one day and, and preach and teach even more fiercely these truths and challenge the people even more earnestly to stand up for God.
and to be the salt and the light that God's called us to be. Let's get ready to come to the table. I didn't finish my message, but I think I said enough. When I talk to people from other parts of the earth, <clears throat> for instance, when I met Gatana Gatana for the first time, it was apparent to me that Gatana Gatana took his faith very seriously. And then I realized that Gatana Gatana came from prison. He watched his fellow believers executed. He's seen people tortured to death, killed for their faith. He went from being royalty in a nation to an absolute slave in prison who they hung upside down and poured boiling oil over his feet. He literally worked for the king of Ethiopia. And people like that who have lived that reality understand something that it's very difficult for people in America to understand because we just think America as the beautiful as we know it is just going to go on forever. It'll never change. But I'm telling you, it has changed drastically, and we don't even realize it. But what's even worse than that is the church. What we call the church is changing in some good ways because of all the bad ways that it is changing. And here is God with his word telling us, I set before you this day life and death. What are you going to choose? God gives us the answer. He says, choose life. And we know God's given us life because he gave us Christ. And that's what this table represents. Every week we come to this table, we eat this bread, we drink this cup. We affirm the covenant God made with us. And the good news is that covenant is not based on how well we perform because we perform very poorly. That covenant is based on the sure work, the finished work of Jesus Christ, the body he gave up, the blood he poured out. And we are here today united together because of that body and because of that blood. That's what's brought us together. That's what makes us one. That's what gives us power to make a change and to be the change agent in our families, in our cities, in our state, in our nation. And don't think God can't use you as unknown as you think you are. You are known to God, and God can use anyone that is willing to be used by him. So I want to invite you, church, come to the table. Let's all stand. So I hope through everything I said today, I hope you can begin to understand that your offering is so much more than just the money you put in that bucket every week. That your very act of coming to this place is an offering to the Lord. The songs you sing are offerings to the Lord. The money you give is an offering to the Lord. The life you live is an offering to the Lord. More than anything, I want you to understand that. It is your life that is the offering that God desires. We live in a broken world, in a broken nation. The church in many ways is broken, but we have hope because our God is a healer. Some people would say the church is dead. That's okay. God is a God of resurrection. My challenge to you is that you understand you come here and you offer your life to God. But it doesn't stop here. Really, this is just where it begins because out there is where we make a difference. We come here, God makes a difference in us so that we can go into the world and make a difference in the world. Don't hide your light. Don't lose your flavor. Don't fall for the lie and the deception. Don't worry about what names people may call you. Don't worry about what friends and family may leave you. Stand up for Christ. Stand up for truth. Love them even when they will not love you. And let the power of his love, let that do the work. But don't confuse love 
with compromise because love is not compromise. So we are called to be a church that is uncompromising. We are called to be a people who love so fiercely that we are willing to tell people the truth even when they know they will reject us because of our love for them. You don't go alone. You don't work alone. God is in you. God is with you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I challenge you to go into the world and be what God has called you to be. I challenge us to be a church that will not compromise, that will follow the pattern and trust God to do what he has promised to do through his people. Amen.